Hello, everyone. This is Belinda Carr, and you're listening to my podcast on building products and technology. As we know, the construction industry is ripe for automation and disruption. It has been reliant on manual labor and outdated tech for far too long, which has led to lagging productivity. Every week, I chat with a company that is exploring ways to tackle these issues. Today, I'm speaking with Philip Block, professor at ETH Zurich. Thanks for joining us, Philip. Thanks for the invitation. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I was actually hoping to meet you during my trip to Switzerland back in August, but the timing and the dates just didn't work out. Uh, but I actually yeah. did visit your university, ETH Zurich. I walked into the main building and um, it's just, it's one of those universities that you hear so much about. If you're in the architecture field and industrial design field, you hear about all this cutting edge technology and research that you're doing. It's um, it's something that's um, too good to be true, <laughs> almost. So how did you get into this role? I'm sure people have asked you this question a dozen times. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I must say, yes, the, the place is a bit too good to be true. And I'm very fortunate to be in such a creative and, and stimulating environment, supportive environment as well. So how did I end up there? Um, well, I kind of... Um, I, I never I never really applied for anything. I mean, except for this job. This is the only one that I applied for. I always met the right people. I rolled into one one opportunity to the next. And uh, how this one came about is that I was uh, at MIT uh, finishing my PhD. Uh, PhD that, with John Oxford. And that oh, was sorry. a PhD in structures, right? Structural design. In, uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, more specifically, I developed new methods to assess the state, the safety of uh, historic structures in unreinforced masonry. So um, why do the beautiful vaulted cathedrals uh, still stand after 500 years? So that's actually a field where there was a, a, a need for better tools that actually can 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 explain how safe they are, how long they stand, why they stand altogether. And um, so I was finishing my PhD. I already was excited to finally go to practice and 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 do some real stuff. I had uh, even a job lined up for for um, in Boston. And then my advisor sent me this call for MIT. He got it in his mailbox and. Uh, uh, for ETH, and it's it it really felt like they were describing me, and so I said, "Well, that's interesting. Maybe I I should try." So I submitted, and 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 um, I guess I came over as this this exotic bird from a totally different background, and so they uh, they uh, they kind of selected me, and so I started a tenure track position uh, now more than thirteen and a half years ago at ETH. So I started here at 2009 and, and I, I stepped through all the different ranks and now I've been full professor since 2017. Um, but uh, yeah, no, so for me, the only reason to convince me to um, uh, to not go to, a, to industry and to, to make things happen was that I heard, I never visited ETH before, never visited even Switzerland before, and uh, but they told me that ETH is the MIT of Europe, and I had such a great experience at MIT that I said, "Well, that sounds like the place for me," and that's how I ended up here. Yeah. That's an incredible story. So you said you're not originally from Switzerland. Where where are you from? Um, I'm I'm uh, from Brussels, from Brussels, Belgium. That's also where I start started my studies. In fact, I look back at those, and I'm super super thankful because the. 
uh, in Belgium for the last 50, 25, even 30 years, there has been uh, a degree that is really in between architecture and engineering. So um, structural engineering, building physics engineering, um, uh, so all the engineering aspects of architecture. And I'm so thankful that I started my career like that because it really laid that very broad base for me to be able to always jump like, back and jump forth. Jump back and from, forth, yes. Yeah. From 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 more design and the the sensitivities that have to do with 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 that, and uh, all the way to the very technical aspects of of structural engineering or computation and so on. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate how, that I could start yeah, there. It's yeah. so interesting how things fall into place like that, right? Because this intersection between architecture and engineering seems to be the perfect fit for you and you have an architecture background your bachelor's and then you got your master's and your PhD in engineering and then this job came along at ETH Zurich and it's been it seems to have been such a fruitful collaboration like you have done amazing things with the university over the last 13 years and it's just wonderful that all that just fell into place for you. Well, thanks for noticing that. Uh, falling into place, yes, to a certain extent, but also... It's also a lot let, of hard let, work. <laughs> there is. Uh, but there's many people that hard work. So it 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 it, it is always a combination of, of opportunities that are given. I've, I've had the best mentors. That is also very important. People that actually support you throughout your career. And so I hope I can pass this on to others later on because that's, that's, that has helped me uh, quite a bit. But I mean, just to because you started by ETH seems to be bigger than life, uh, too much perfect world, and so on. That's that's also, of course, an important aspect that that ETH as a university is is very supportive. Not, I mean, not only gives you a good framework to work in, but also really emphasizes that they want you to make a difference and to have impact. And they so they don't fall back on the. The typical kind of currency in, in academia typically is how many papers you write. And so they really clarified from the beginning. For us, it's not about that. It's really about you doing something meaningful. So it's quality over quantity. It's 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 knowledge and technology transfer, which is typically not that well recognized in academia over, uh, again, uh, fundamental papers and so on. So I try to do both, of course, but I am very thankful to be in such an environment that that really pushes us to to uh, to innovate. So, and that is maybe a difference that I noticed compared to, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy thankful of my education in the US because that's where the, the topics that I care about, that's, that's, that's where I learned them. That's where most of my skills, my, um, I learned how to present in the US, uh, how to kind of also uh, be entrepreneurial. So all of this I have from this, this, this crazy spirit at MIT, but where I'm lucky here at ETH or what I notice as a difference is that we maybe have less flashy kind of uh, statements and scoops in the press, but we try to make things happen. So we try to go all the way and to really do the, the significantly less sexy 15% uh, to to actually yeah. to, to, to make something happen and not just... Uh, just not just talk about it, yes. raise money yes, and exactly. claim that... I'm not that saying you... <laughs> that MIT just does that. <laughs> Absolutely, but I'm just yeah. saying that... It's a ETH, cultural difference, yeah. Well, but also ETH is really proud and, and, and supports that and acknowledges that because you cannot do both. You cannot exactly. uh, have high-impact uh, journal papers that always seek for novelty 
and at the same time have the same energy, time and effort to make things happen. So I, I do see some differences. Absolutely. So there as well, I am fortunate that I have maybe the best mixes of both, a very good base education in Europe, um, an entrepreneurial and open-minded kind of uh, uh, um, uh, follow-up education in the US. And then now here I can make things happen, happen and, and yeah. change the world. Yeah. So uh, let's dive into the details of how you work. What sort of, whenever you come up with these um with these research topics and something that you're really passionate about, how do you follow through? Is there a collaboration with other companies mm. in Switzerland and in Europe? Is it a collaboration with students, fellow professors? How does that research process work? Okay, I'm, I'm maybe uh, we are maybe a bit of an outbird, and I want to also maybe emphasize that uh, I have done everything together with my best friend and right-hand man, uh, Tom van Mele, we have been developing uh, this, this agenda. No one knows Tom because he's always in the background working and making everything happen. And I'm the face talking about what we do and coming up with crazy ideas that he then needs to realize. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating sorry. a little. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but before you continue, you're talking about the, the your partner in Block Research Group, BRG? That's, that's correct, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, we, 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 we call it a Block Research Group at, at ETH, that is in at the Institute of Technology and Architecture. But uh, we are now also setting up uh, companies to be able to transfer. So I can talk about this a bit later, but you asked me about how these things come, come about. Well, I must say that I, I, I got this message already from John Oxendorf in 2005 that uh, about sustainability and these targets and so on. But honestly, if we're if many of us are honest to ourselves, that was not resonating sufficiently back then. And but the more you actually are aware of the gigantic impact, negative impact of our industry on on climate, on on resources, on 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 on, on uh, uh, diversity of of uh, of of uh, of, uh, of species and so on. Um, yeah, that cannot be unseen. So yeah. I must say that this drives everything and, and it's becoming increasingly challenging and difficult for our new PhD students because we ask all of them to be fully aware what exactly are they contributing? Are they, are they clearly contributing? Uh, and are they contributing to our, our, our biggest challenge that we, that we will face as a, as, as, as a society? And that is how to address this this real climate em uh, emergency right and so so then you said about collaboration yeah that's an interesting one i i believe i believe in long-term partnerships so what we because one of the things that we're trying to demonstrate you talked about automation and, and things like that part of this is also to really rethink how things are done and to not just have all these sequential kind of steps, like an architect sketches something fantastic, then uh, an engineer tries not to kill anyone, and then a, a builder tries to build it as cheaply as possible. So we need to break through That's that. That's an and excellent so summary of the construction <laughs> okay, yes, industry. That's right. <laughs> but but, but part, of, part of moving along the bucket and responsibility and also splitting your fees and so on also means that there is so many inefficiencies that come in. So we are really trying to do that differently. And so these long-term partnerships actually typically are with builders directly, with contractors, because we, we, we want to have a full integrated kind of pipeline 
And, and, and part of that is then also, of course, to be directly connected and have the builder and the fabricator in the story, in the design, in the development from the beginning. So it's and not so just a research paper. It's not theoretical. You actually go a step further and make it happen and test I, it out. I think we have to. I mean, yeah. of course, one one should never understell the importance of fundamental research in general. But for our field uh, or the fields of architecture, uh, structural engineering, building physics, uh, everything applied to construction and the built environment, there is such an urgency that the proving the proof is really in the pudding and eating it. And so it's it's not sufficient to just sketch out kind of potentials. It's all cute and that was fine. We just we just are nearing the end of maybe a decade and a half of, of pavilion architecture or pavilion research. That was super important. That was super important to develop the tools to 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 kind of really challenge also how things are coming together but now we need to make things happen and yeah. and and so that means that indeed we have to team up with industry to um to to accelerate to yeah. to accelerate transfer so i i'm curious about this so you let's talk about one hypothetical situation you work with one phd student on <clears throat> say shape optimization of concrete foundation something just i'm just throwing a topic out there yeah and then <clears throat> you work with a concrete company or some sort of fabricator to to cast these forms in place. What happens after that student has graduated? How do you continue that research? Do you kind of advise the next incoming batch of students on, hey, these are possible topics. Does this pique yeah. your interest? Would you like to pick up this other student's research from where he stopped, he or she stopped? Yeah. Uh, again, this is this is we we maybe um, I mean people that know our work are uh, or have listened to any of my talks uh, feel that there is a crazy red line through everything that we do, and that of course doesn't just come by ha by habit. So there's different ways to 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 do PhDs and also to advise PhD students, but we believe in providing uh, frameworks uh, a framing. That's, that still allows a PhD student to define his or her specific contribution within that, that frame, uh, framing, but nonetheless to be aligned with previous work. And, okay. and, and the reason for that is that it's, it's, it's so much more powerful if you're not, if you're not having to reinvent, reinvent the, wheel the wheel exactly every single time when you start a PhD. And, and in fact, um, part of this is that eight years ago, Tom started to develop an in-house computational framework that allowed all the PhD students from day one to start with all the knowledge of the past kind of pre PhD students. And this in-house framework has now developed into Compass, which is an open source framework for uh, research and collaboration in the AEC. In fact, Tom is right now doing a workshop for McNeil with, uh, with, with a, a, a Rhino workshop on Compass. And um, why I mention is that this has been also important to us is to also in our own organization and for the sake of our own students to try to optimize things. And because again, I mean, there's different, you can scale this up at different levels. How much brain power is, is being lost all over the world by PhD students having to set up their own environment and figuring out everything from scratch. Why not being able to build upon other people's research? But also in practice, how silly, how sad is it even 
that all that offices that are big enough, they develop their own frameworks in-house, they keep it in their bubble and so on. And then another office, need... like a hundred other offices are doing the exact same thing in exactly. the silos. I agree. Yes. Yeah. And so, so, so we are really trying to push and to clarify and to lead by example, because we, we share all our methods open source through Compass so that other people can actually um, replicate what we have done, how we have approached the problems and so on. So uh, that has been an important aspect in, 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 in uh, how we developed the group and also allowed us to go faster, but also allowed us to collaborate faster because yeah. if different PhD students are working on different topics, because all their work is based on Compass, in half an hour's time, literally, they have all their workflows connected and they can start to collaborate. And that is super powerful and that's, super exciting. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so I have to ask you, in your last 13 and a half years at ETH Zurich, is there one particular project that really stands out? I'm sure there are several. You've worked on incredible incredible innovations, but is there one that stands out because it was so innovative for the time, but yeah. now in 2022, it's become mainstream and you don't even realize how yeah. how much of an impact it made on our industry? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, so you're asking two things, right? So one is which one do you think has more in, uh, impact? Yeah. Um, I, I, I have been a bit kind of conscious about this lately and Tom and I have shifted gears because we want to have impact. And then we have some high, high, high level colleagues from practice that then came to me like, you should not be so doubting, like just already your approach to to embed structural knowledge and through tools like Rhino Vault, uh, fully in your design kind of tools, um, is 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 so important to demonstrate the power of structural geometry that you can reduce mass, that you can reduce the stresses, so that you can activate lower embodied carbon materials and and so on and so on. That has probably the biggest impact already, noticeable impact. Also that we. Um, I can proudly say that the very first uh, freeform tile vaulted kind of structure we did in 2010. And so now you see them everywhere in the world, right? You see them pop up in, in workshops in India, in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, uh, in Iran. They're big fans of these kind of things. So it's, it's super fascinating to see how all of that spread. But you asked me maybe about that one project that I think is really going to... Uh, I mean, if I may say in an, in a in in a perhaps not that humble way that we really will be remembered for for I think it's the it is our developments on the floor plates on the, the floor slabs. So and that project is still going on uh, in the Nest project. We 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 managed to build one floor plate of uh, five by five meter with only three centimeters, uh, a, a doubly curved shell of three centimeters of unreinforced concrete, uh, low strength concrete. And so that replaces our typical floor plate. But now uh, what is exciting, and it's, 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 it's really crazy, it's happening, is that after um, a two year, uh, very intensive research and development phase, we are in the next couple of weeks, literally um, setting up a company with, with big industrial giants to commercialize these floor plates at scale. And the reason that I am so excited That's about exciting. these floor plates is that, let me give you an example of, of 
potential impact. Yeah, can you talk about things like material reduction and yeah, embodied carbon yeah. reduction about this? No, exactly. So what we have developed, uh, the floor plate is a concrete floor plate, uh, unreinforced concrete that uses 70% less concrete and 90% less reinforcement steel compared to uh, your standard reinforced concrete floor plate. By doing that, we beat any floor system on the, uh, on the market. So you probably think that I'm a salesperson, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But the reason that I can say this matter of fact is because this uh, we are uh, in, in, in advanced stages of development for a 130 meter tower. So a very large tower in the, in the center of Brussels that was designed entirely around this floor plate. And a second project, a big pilot project is here in, in, in Zug in Switzerland. And also again, designed entirely around this floor plate. Um, wh why I mentioned this is because in a research paper, you can always in the beginning set, say, these are my boundary conditions and so on. But in real life, you cannot leave any stone un, un, uh, uh, no. unturned. Yeah, because lives are at stake. Yes. There's far exactly. more. Yeah. Lives are at stake. That's, of course, that's the minimal requirement we need to, 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 to hit. But of course, also economical Econ questions, questions of acoustics, questions of uh, thermal mass and so on. And so this is something that we're extremely proud that actually in all these projects, uh, we have not seen any red flags. We are wow. uh, at the same cost, if not cheaper compared to a typical floor because the savings are so dramatic, right? But for me, what is also very exciting is that beyond the savings on emissions, beyond the savings on resources, we're actually reintroducing the masonry logic. The reason that cathedrals stand to discretize our floors so that they have a very natural dry assembly so that you can take them apart so that you don't have to lock them in. So you can imagine already an end of life, either easy recycling or you reuse the components and so on. So we are going beyond embodied emissions and we're really making a fully, fully, fully circular product. And so this is exciting because... So that's beautiful. So your, your PhD thesis into cathedral design and yeah. restoring all buildings kind of comes into this new uh, and, and you wouldn't have you couldn't have possibly planned that out during your PhD you're just pulling all this information in while doing continuing research that's yeah. beautiful <laughs> thanks Belinda but in fact there were already hints uh, during my PhD of the potential but it clearly wasn't coming together because I, I never imagined that that and and this is this is a work of almost a decade of of persistence of uh, a lot of investments of also not giving up because it's easy to give up or to 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 succumb to the typical kind of academic pressures and also to we live in a world of of fast media and social media and so on and it's it's. It's of course fun to be able to hit all the news with uh, with some fascinating new thoughts. So you can you can imagine that it needed some some persistence, yes. perseverance to to stick to this one topic, to actually to stick to compression, to stick to this super boring element, the floor plate. So we stuck to it for tens uh, for for years and years and years, almost ten years of dedicated research. But that means that now we can go to the market with a product that is indeed, like you say, of course, safe, but that is performance that that really uses materials how they want, want to be used. And 
And what, what I enjoy today the most is that I get invited to all kinds of events where they think they will be able to pin me down with a typical concrete shaming that is going on today. They say concrete is bad, wood is good. That is an absurd statement because it's not just about the material. It's not it's black and white, you, no. How you use the material, in what context, if you consider the end of life, if you consider all the other facets to construction. So um, I find it very rewarding that indeed the Gothic cathedrals are the key to make the most negative looking material the most sustainable today for the application of floor plates, right? So I um, maybe if you know our work, you know that we like to provoke often. And so uh, we're in the business of shaking our community and making, their, uh, making them think beyond their preconceived notions in a way also. That's incredible. Wow. What a inspirational story for everyone else in the industry. But before we move on, I, I have to ask you, you mentioned the NEST project and I've looked this up. It's an incredible collaborative project between, I think, professors at ETH. Could you talk a little bit more about the NEST project? Yeah. Well, well, what a vision by our uh, sister university, EMPA. What they basically did was in, I believe it was in 2010, they, st they started to build um, uh, a building with, with gigantic platforms to, to receive innovative units. And so basically they thought, let's give researchers uh, literally a platform, physically and theoretically a framing, a platform that allows them to take more risks than what you would typically be able to do in a real project, right? You're, 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 if there is a small crack happening, you're gonna be sued. If there is, of course, structural failure should never happen. But so the, the thing is that this, this really allows researchers to plug in and to try something with industry partners that hopefully can be a jumping board to, uh, to, to innovation later. And that is exactly what happened with us. So we did this, this Hilo unit with some crazy roof that was built on a flexible forward. But the key point was these floor plates that I talked about. So we wanted to show this for the first time in a real project. So not in a prototype, because that is also, that for me was an interesting learning because I, um, I mean, if you build a prototype, you can stand on it, you do all the tests and so on. You can do whatever you want. Industry is not interested in it. They need to see it in a real building. So this nest was a, a super important milestone, the nest Hilo unit, because that's the first time we built this floor plate. And since then it has been accelerating. And now we are just a few weeks away from, from actually setting up a commercial venture to build these floor plates all over the world. Considering wow, that amazing. we will be, by the way, considering that we will be building more than 200 billion square meters. So that means 2 trillion square, uh, square feet of floor area throughout the world. And knowing that in a medium high rise, they account for more than 40% of the mass of the entire building is all lumped in the floor plates, right? So if we can, if we can offer such a disruptive innovation, that is gonna change the needle, right? That is going to accelerate our 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 um, our our path towards the, uh, uh, net zero, indeed. So um, I mean, you can I mean, it, uh, typically I can speak with 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 images of our of our of our of our of our projects and so on. So I hope that I'll this definitely link. Is, yes, absolutely. Hopefully, it's not too abs abstract, abstract. And uh, what I'm saying, but I'm I'm super passionate. This is this is such an exciting time to be. 
And if uh, maybe this sounds bad, right? Because um, I'm excited because we can be solving solutions. But on the other hand, it's actually that we should be that serious, right? That we have to find solutions, go build better, build faster, like you also said, and so on and so but, on. But it's not, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's, we can't just be all doom and gloom all the time. We mm -hmm. have to be we have to have some positive outlook on this whole thing and in order to keep us going like you went you pursued this one venture for 10 years because yes. there was some positive light at the end of the tunnel you couldn't have just been um like we, we can't just dive into just the negativity and yet it's it's awful the climate emergency and all that stuff but we have to look at the positives to Absolutely. keep us going be because we have to do it together and and actually also something else that I, I find a little bit uh, a pity is that I, I witness a lot of uh, black and white reasoning, a yes. lot of kind of lobbying for the sake of positioning yourself. And unfortunately, this is no longer only in, in industry, but I also witness this a little bit in academia, that people are trying to carve their niche by, by going to one extreme while we are all in this together and I we have to... We have to not be antagonistic, but we really have to start to, 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 to also acknowledge that we need many, many solutions. People that, that say that we have to work, that we have to build everything in timber, that is, that is the wrong message, for example, because then, then we would have monocultures throughout the world. We would Absolutely. cut all the green lungs that we have left on this planet and so on. So timber is fantastic in certain regions, but it's not an one one solution fits all and that is that is happening so much nowadays and and i hope that we are not wasting too much precious time on on on, on trying to f position ourselves with black and white thinking because we all need to work together it's really I completely crazy agree. i completely agree with you and it's wonderful that we have people like you and i'm sure there are other professors and other researchers out there that are shaking up the industry like you said being a little controversial and yeah. and dismissing all these um false or maybe just um i'm losing the <laughs> i'm losing my train of thought now but um incorrect notions about the future of the industry it's like you said it's not black and white it's collaborative and come you coming up with this solution for flow plates could be far more beneficial to the industry than someone just advocating for timber and absolutely nothing else but I'm going anyway, to link. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm maybe going a little bit too much. I am. I am not uh, a concrete poster boy and a temper anti boy. Um, no, what I want to say with this is that that I witness a little bit too much of a of a favoring just just because of ideological um, re reasons and 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 we cannot permit ourselves to go yeah. in that direction. That's maybe what I wanted to say. It's and, and, going to be very destructive we, to our entire. And yeah. civilization if we have this like blinders on and we say exactly. this is the only solution and we're not going to yeah. consider anything else That's but right. yeah. i i have one last question for you philip what advice do you have for incoming people in the industry whether it's architect architects engineers like the next generation of people that are looking for how they can shake shake up the industry looking for alternatives to the traditional path down to um, like becoming a licensed architect or a licensed engineer, something like what you have done. You found the intersection between these two fields. You've carved your own path that is not 
conventional in the industry? Yeah. Well, I I, I think uh, um, I'm rather convinced by the opportunities and the path that I that I that I could walk. Um, I I do think it's important. It's no longer acceptable to define yourself as an architect only being interested in in spaces in an experience in maybe materiality but more on a combination between tactile and aesthetic kind of reasons i i believe that with such a pressure comes such a responsibility and um I mean, globally, being responsible for 40% of the human-made greenhouse gas emissions, 40% of the global waste production in construction demolition waste, 40% of the, the, the use of first, first use raw natural resources. I mean, these are gigantic numbers. And so I, I find it, I find this comes with a responsibility. And so that means that, that, as an architect, you need to be knowledgeable about what matters and what is. Uh, so I, I, I would advocate to everyone to to find that specialty that allows you to make a unique contribution in the right direction of sustainability. So a technical uh, a technical field, most likely, because much many of the the bigger jumps, the bigger disruptions, will have to also have a technical component like for example a structural or new building systems or and and so on so i think that that is probably a good guess in what direction to go but for me is is um yeah break the i mean break with the status quo i mean you um don't necessarily become an activist but at least be a proactive changer and so be curious and 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 as we have been talking about earlier, it does start with with uh, education. It does start with with actually being knowledgeable enough to go past um, kind of poster like uh, statements of that is good and that is bad. Yes. It takes much much more. So be curious, be open. Um, I personally think the more you can remain open in your base education, the better. And it's also rewarding because otherwise, if you see still big, big architecture offices, I mean, is that the best use of of human brain power to have people design 10 iterations and draw up up, uh, toilet plans and, and so on and so on on an intern level? And then maybe after many years, you get to take the lead on something and I'm of course exaggerating yes, a little yes. bit, but so shape, give yourself a chance to be more influential. And I yeah. think for that, you want, you want to complement yourself with, with some knowledge, technical knowledge. And uh, yeah, so I would say do the same as what I did and you'll have an exciting life. You'll have an exciting career. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I share a lot of like people who have watched my videos and listened to my podcast know that I share a, a lot of uh, points of view that we have similar points of view on the construction industry and the architecture industry. Um, but I know that I said that would going to be my last question, but I have to ask you about that poster behind you. Cause I've been staring at that the entire podcast. What is it? Uh, yeah. So this is really a not done in zoom, zoom meetings. You're supposed to blur your background so that you don't <laughs> get distracted and lose your train of thought. No, I thought I I like this poster because I'm Belgian, and uh, as a Belgian, you love one loves French fries. So 
And in order to make the French fries, you of course want to peel them. So this is a potato peeler. Uh, but this also happens to be one of the most important, one of the most successful innovations from Switzerland. And so in a way, I thought this poster is almost like me. I live and work uh, and I'm very, very happy in Switzerland, but I'm also very proudly from Brussels, Belgium. So that's that's why I have this poster distracting you in the background, <laughs> uh, because it's maybe a little bit uh, best of both worlds. Um, oh, that's yeah. a nice story. Well, thank you so much, Philip, for sharing all that amazing, incredible advice with all of us. I'm going to be, if people want to learn more about the Nest project or other projects that you're working on, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or to look at your past past work? Yeah, I mean, we're trying, we used to try to, to keep our website uh, up to date. We're going to revamp it, but that I would say that is maybe the first step. But um, if you happen to be in Zurich, I mean, do reach out. Uh, we, it's or you've seen it yourself. It's worth visiting. There's a lot of nice people around, and so uh, perhaps it's it's uh, uh, if you are in town, then come and visit us. Indeed, uh, I hope I didn't make a mistake now by announcing this so openly because uh, <laughs> we already have a lot of visitors. But uh, no, what I want to say is that we try to be open in everything we do. So on our website, there's quite a bit of information. Do check out the Compass project yes. um, if you're curious to discover how we do things. Uh, we are trying to there also share our methods and so on. So um, I would say start there. And then if there's still open-ended questions that you absolutely need to answer, then feel free to contact me and you'll get an answer somehow. Maybe not from me, but from someone on the fantastic team I get to work with. Thank you. Thank you once again for sharing all that information with us and looking forward to seeing all the other incredible projects that you and your team come up with. Thanks, Belinda. And thanks again for this opportunity to share some thoughts.